In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Years ago, wanting to improve my golf game after some frustrating rounds, I rented an instructional video back when that was something you did. It was produced by legendary golfer Jack Nicklaus, and it was a frustrating experience. Great athletes don't always make great coaches. Jack's instruction went something like this. He'd, he'd say, some people hit it like this, and then he'd hit a shot that sliced off to the right. And then he'd say, but here's what you want to do. And then he'd swing his perfect swing, and it'd go right down the middle. And it ended up being Jack just sort of saying, hit it like I do, which was a lot easier said than done. <laughs> now, this is an analogy for today's gospel, and it's not as much of a reach as it might appear at first. If we are not happy with our performance in life, we look to Jesus. He is the new Adam who shows us how we are supposed to live. His perfect performance in his wilderness temptation stands in contrast with the notable failures of Adam and Eve in the garden and Israel in the wilderness. These are examples that we tend to follow. But here, Jesus shows us how to do it the right way, and it's really quite simple. When you're besieged by demonic, worldly, and fleshly temptation, just say no, quote the appropriate Bible verse, do that three times, and the devil will go away, and angels will come and comfort you. It turns out it's a little more difficult for us to hold the form of perfect humanity in the tension spaces of life. When besieged by the enemies of the soul, we tend to get anxious and fearful. We tend to forget what the Bible says altogether. Rather than responding with strength and principle, we yield to the emotional pressure of the moment. We say or do things that, in contrast with the perfect form of Jesus, amounts to a bad slice that leaves us off in the rough. And in real life, it's not always so easy to take a mulligan. But there's more to our analogy. Following Jesus does not mean just walking into life and trying to do what he did. In Matthew's gospel, the temptation of Jesus is preceded by two significant things. The first is Jesus' baptism. Three verses before the beginning of the temptation, St. Matthew tells us this. When he had been baptized, Jesus immediately came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The second thing that preceded the temptation is the second verse of our gospel. St. Matthew writes, then was Jesus led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, Afterward, he was hungry. In other words, Jesus 
prepared for his wilderness test. The whole picture of Jesus' wilderness temptation teaches us that unless we have the baptismal gift of the Holy Spirit, and unless we strengthen that life of the Spirit within us with disciplines of prayer and fasting, we aren't really following the example of Jesus at all, and we won't be able to do what he did. Dallas Willard commented on this in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. A while back, there was a popular buzz phrase, what would Jesus do? Willard observed that we might just as well walk up to a piano and say, what would Beethoven do? The missing step is what Jesus and Beethoven did before they performed perfectly. The step we miss is hours and days and weeks and years of practice and preparation. This was, of course, my pretense with my golf tape. Did I really think I could watch a video, get a few pieces of advice from Jack, and then hit it like he did without committing to the same rigorous routine of practice that he no doubt practiced for a lifetime? Failure to practice golf or piano may result in frustration when we play, but it will not ruin our lives. However, if we fail to practice the disciplines that cultivate spiritual growth and strength, we will experience a frustrating and perpetual gap between the high ideals of our faith and our actual performance. And it is for this reason that many end up abandoning their faith altogether. Lent is an opportunity to reorient life around the disciplines of faith that will make us more proficient at it. To succeed in establishing these kinds of disciplines, faith must become our primary commitment the thing in life that other things must yield to. And this will confront our natural and cultural tendency to adjust the disciplines and demands of faith to the urgencies and pleasures of life. And this follows the faulty logic of our time. The logic says that what makes me feel good right now is what will make me happy. Thus, temporary feelings are always allowed to trump duty and discipline. The faulty logic misses the central point of Jesus' temptation. In each temptation, Jesus said no to things that would have provided immediate relief, a better immediate feeling. But in each instance, the immediate relief would have been at the cost of a greater long-term benefit. By saying no to the temporary bread, Jesus became the bread of life. By refusing to gain followers by cheap tricks, Jesus drew all people to himself on the cross. By refusing to worship the evil one, 
Jesus became King of Kings and Lord of Lords and conquered the evil one. The call to fast, to say no to good things, is often associated with the idea that God doesn't really want us to be happy. This is the caricature of the holy but miserable saint. In fact, Jesus linked our holiness with our happiness, but he taught us that they must be pursued in the right order. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The pursuit of happiness before holiness turns the good things of this world into idols. And idol worship breeds perpetual frustration because the idol does not have the intrinsic ability to make us happy. We can only truly enjoy the things of this world sacramentally as signs that point us to their creator. This requires that we subject our use of them to God's will and that we learn to hold them loosely and not mistake them for God. When we say no to things for the sake of the kingdom of God, the things come back to us eventually in their true form as gifts from God and not as idols. Lent is an opportunity to practice the no that leads to the better yes. It is an opportunity to become more like Christ by following his complete example from baptism through discipline and testing to Easter. And what comes back to us at Easter always makes the no of the wilderness worthwhile. We can follow Jesus because we have been baptized into Christ. We have become children of God through faith. We have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are able in Christ, in the Spirit, to resist temptation and pass our tests and grow in our ability to love God and others. As Romans 8, 4 says, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. But we are kidding ourselves if we think we can do what Jesus did without following his example of practice and preparation by fasting and prayer. Jesus does not expect us to do exactly what he did by going without food and water for 40 days. But each of us can take up the fast in ways that both challenge us and are appropriate to our spiritual maturity, physical health, and circumstances. And each of us can pray in new ways that invite Christ to come into our lives and inhabit the space 
created by the fast. Thus, Lent offers us both a challenge and an opportunity. As St. Paul exhorts us in the epistle, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.